Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Again, welcome. What a great day it is. We are in the middle of the counting of the Omer. It's such a fantastic uh, season and lesson for all of us, reminding us that there is no Passover. There is no liberty without Sinai. Shavuot. They're connected together by the counting of the Omer. There's no Passover without a Pentecost. So we're going to talk about that today. I want to talk specifically about coming out of our Egypts of sin and shame. So Exodus is all about coming out of Egypt. We're saved in Egypt, in our sin and shame. But then God calls us to come out of our Egypts of sin and shame. So the Exodus gives us a picture of what it means to come out of a kingdom of slavery and misery. It serves as a type and shadow of what it means to come out of the domain of sin and shame. As believers who are saved by grace, through faith in the blood of the Lamb, this call to leave the realm of sin is key to our happiness. We are called to be holy now that God has made us his own possession. And we will respond to that call by the power of the Holy Spirit as we come out of our cages of sin. Everyone has one or more cages to come out of. Here are a few big ones. Here's a few big ones. Pride and rebellion, as manifested in living on your own terms, in your own ways. A proud and a rebellious person lives on their own terms, in their own ways. People think that their own, they're their own prophet, priest, and king. We are not. He is king over our lives. We get to live in the context of his ways, not our own ways. Humility is when we give up that right to govern our own lives and place ourselves under his rule and reign. Another one, immorality. In fact, this word immorality in the Greek text is pornea. Sound familiar? Pornea. That's where we get our English term, porn, comes right out of this concept, this idea, this area of sin called immorality. It's connected to impurity and sensuality. So it not only includes porn, it includes strip clubs and escort services and everything else that goes along with it. And men, it's every man's battle. Isn't that true? It's every man's battle. Testosterone runs high in our, in our beings. And so for men, there's a much greater, in my opinion, struggle with this area than it is for most women, generally speaking. So we've got to battle this. We have to overcome it in our lives. If we don't, it will dominate us. It'll destroy our marriages our careers, our finances, and ultimately our happiness. 
We have to break free and come out of our cages. This area of sexual impurity includes social media playgrounds, like Facebook, for instance, right? I've seen believers on Facebook, you know, I, I, got, I got over a thousand friends, most of really people that are not very close at all. Most of our friends are not really friends or acquaintances, maybe, right? But think about this. When I'm on Facebook and I'm checking different people out, I usually go to their friends list because I have friends in their friends lists. And sometimes I want to connect with the friend of an old friend, so I go to an old friend and find another friend and connect that way, but I make my way around. But I'm shocked to see some of the friends on some of my friends lists, friends who are believers, who have on their lists prostitutes, harlots, whores, listed as their friends. I'm thinking, really? What is this all about? I'm just shocked. And I know that you interact with them. You interact with them. A couple of points here. They are not your friends. They're not interested in you. What are you thinking? All they want is your money. And you're being duped. And you're about to provoke the Lord your God, including your wife and your faith community. What are you thinking? What are you thinking? I'm not judging you. The Lord your God is judging you. Stop it. Repent. This is the season of making changes. We're counting the Omer. We're supposed to come out of our Egypts of sin and shame. Come out of that. Change your ways. Defriend them. Block them if you have to. Come out of your cage of sexual impurity and be clean before the Lord again. If you do not and you think you can stay in that cage, the Lord your God will judge you soon. Judgment begins in the household of God. Some of you are thinking, what kind of church is this? Well, we're one of the real deals. We're not going to just tickle your ears, make you comfortable in your cage. We're here to set you free. It's about liberty. It's about freedom from sin and shame. So we got to help each other. Love is tough. It requires us to hold each other accountable and lift each other out of our places of sin and shame. We're coming out. Another area that we're called to come out of is idolatry. Putting things before the Lord our God. You know what the big test of idolatry is? It's a big test that most people don't even see as the test. It's time itself, quote-unquote. Remember the Sabbath day to observe that. Yeah, that's a big test, isn't it? To rest and to gather together in a holy assembly on the seventh day and include in that the annual holy days. These are the days God has set aside. He sanctified time 
And he said, you make it holy too, because you now are my people, a holy people. Well, I got to work. I got to play. I got to take vacations. I got to do this. I got to do that. Yeah, that's idolatry. The test of idolatry is, will you walk in my ways? Or will you put other things on a higher priority than my commandments? Sunday, Christmas, Easter, Halloween. They manifest the fruit of idolatry whether we admit it or not. These are big tests. And we have sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy. All of these are cages. Outbursts of anger. Uh, anger. Outbursts of anger. Anyone struggle with anger? Yeah, I bet about a third of us do, maybe more. It's a pretty common area. We get addicted to anger. We use anger to control people. Yeah, the anger is toxic. It might control them for a while, but they're going to look for ways to get away from us. The Bible says you can be angry, just don't sin. You can be angry, but don't sin. Want to be angry? Great. Go for a walk. And when no one's around, yell, kick the dirt, throw a rock, bite a tree. I don't know. Do, do what you got to do. But don't bite the kids and don't kick the dog, right? What are you thinking? We have to learn to control our anger. Because anger can become something that controls us, a cage that holds us in. Disputes, dissensions, factions. You know, if I don't get my way, I'm going to leave and or so discord. Really? We're called a unity. We're a family. You don't leave because things aren't going your way in your family. You work them out because you place a high value on family. Well, your faith community is a family. When things aren't going your way, do you just get up and run and leave? What are you thinking of? That's dissension. That's division. That's the spirit of the evil one. No, you work out your problems. And if you do leave, you plug in somewhere else where you can build. But what you don't get to do is just blow out, leave, go do your own thing. We're a family. Together, we're going to make it. Run with the pack, and you have a much greater chance of making it than when you bolt and run on your own. Now is not the time to be running alone. It's a very dangerous world that we're living in. The enemy is at an all-time high in his assault on all of God's people. What about envy? Think about this. Envy is like a principality that's exerting itself in our culture like never before. What is envy? Envy is desiring someone else's stuff. Think about that for a minute. What is going on all around us, right? Think about it. If I can't have your stuff, if I can't have your status, I'm going to riot, loot, and burn the city down. Really, that's the spirit of envy. You need to get free of that. All that's going to do is bring a lot of blood and death. Drunkenness, drug addiction, carousing, on and all. These are the cages that we live in that God has called us to come out of. 
And this is the season of coming out. We are called to come out of our sin and shame. If we refuse and say, no, I'm staying in Egypt. I'm going to do what I did last year. You know, there's no progression of sanctification and holiness. I'm just good to go, happy with being saved, going to stay right here in my cage. Really? The Lord will bring you down low and even cut your life short if that's what it takes to help you come out of your cage. That's the Lord our God. This is the lessons that we learn in the Exodus. Read the story. It's all over it. I know, I know. We're under grace. In a moment, we're going to look at grace through the lens of grace that the Apostle Paul gives us. The Apostle Paul is the Apostle of grace. He's the one everyone goes to when we talk about grace. We're going to go to Paul so that we can say what Paul says about grace. Yes, we're under grace. You need to understand what that means. That's not a license to sin. We'll get there in a moment. During the counting of the Omer, the 50 days between Passover and Shavuot, let's take a serious look at our lives and the call of God to be holy and the offer of the power of the Holy Spirit to secure it in our lives. So let's jump forward all the way to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, to Paul, the, the apostle of grace. 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 22. For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren. That's slide 75. Good, thank you. I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. That is one of those texts that you're going to want to highlight. That is so powerful when you think about it. Paul says, I don't want you to be unaware of this fact. Your ancestors, all of them, under the cloud, all passed through the sea. And then he describes it as their baptism. They were baptized. This is the, the, the prefigurement of baptism. This is the type and shadow of what baptism means. The exodus is what gives us an antecedent theology of baptism. And what were they baptized into? Moses. They were baptized into Moses. You say, well, I'm baptized into Jesus. What's the difference, please? What's the difference? Who do you think Moses was? He's the forerunner of Jesus. He's the type and shadow of Jesus. Jesus is the new and second Moses. There's no conflict between Jesus and Moses. Moses is the one that reveals who Jesus is. God says, Moses, I'm going to do some things in the Exodus in and through you that by the time I'm done, my people will believe in you forever, forever. Oh, my daughter, when she was growing up, we got the uh, animated, what was that called? Um, help me out. Prince of Egypt, thank you. Interactive congregation for the older, more mature preacher. Yeah, Prince of Egypt. 
And uh, my daughter, she watched that 35, 40 times. I don't know, she's burned that DVD out, right? So, but she'd wake up. Once in a while, she'd be sleeping with us at night, and she'd wake up, and she'd sit right up in bed, you know, and I'd kind of like look over, you know, a little bit startled, you know, and she'd still be asleep. She'd be saying, Moses, Moses, you know, I'm looking from, I'm looking in the bedroom for Moses, you know, I'm thinking he's in here somewhere, you know. Then she'd say, run, run, Moses, run. It was crazy, right out of Prince of Egypt, you know. But I really enjoyed, um, you know, my daughters growing up. And falling in love with Moses. Because I knew that what that did is prep them for the more glorious one, the second Moses, Yeshua. They were the clarion call. They were the shofar being blasted. They were the lens in which we would understand who Jesus is. So they were baptized in Moses, a type and shadow of a Messiah, under the cloud and the cloud represented the heavenlies. The cloud represents the heavens. In fact, God's presence is in the cloud. Remember Genesis chapter 1 when the earth is first formed? Guess what covers the earth? A thick cloud. So thick that no sunlight can get through it. God dwells in the cloud. God covers himself in the darkness of the cloud. So above them was God, as they were baptized in the forerunner, Moses, as they passed through the sea. And the sea is what? It represents the primor primordial earth. Again, in Genesis, what covers the earth? Water. It represents the natural realm. So we have Moses, the type and shadow who intercedes between the heavenlies and the earthly. All of that, the antecedent for how we understand baptism in Yeshua. Even Jesus says you must be born of what? Water and the Spirit. Natural birth and a birth from above. Verse 3, 1 Corinthians. And all of our ancestors, they all ate the same spiritual food. Interesting, right? Spiritual food. They ate manna from heaven. God called it the, the what? The food of angels. Jesus, or, or God says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. There is spiritual food that nourishes our spiritual being. Not only are we called to take care of the natural part of who we are, but the spiritual part of who we are. In John chapter 6 and verse 35, Jesus says to his disciples, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. Again in verse 48, I am the bread of life. Yeah, he is that heavenly bread, that spiritual food that brings to us eternal life and sustains that life. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4. And all drank the same spiritual drink. They had spiritual food and they had spiritual drink. For they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them. And the rock was Christ. Jesus, again, is uh, depicted as the living water of God. Let me read a few verses. John 4, 
7 through 14. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. This is the story of Jesus and the Samaritan. He's already sent his disciples away. He's at a well alone. And this Samaritan woman comes to draw the water. Jesus said to her, give me drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. She said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. And when then do you get that living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob and you who gave us the well and drank I'm sorry, you are not greater than our father Jacob, are you? Who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle. Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. Jesus, the living water of God. John 7, 37 through 39. Now in the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this, he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who had believed in him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Again, Jesus is the bread that comes down from heaven. He's the one that pours out the Spirit, which is living water, which causes us to be born again, coming to life. And then through that relationship, the communion of the Holy Spirit, we never thirst again. Eternally alive in God. Back to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. Nevertheless, with most of them, who's the them? All of those believers who were saved in Egypt that came out to sojourn, becoming the people of God, making their way to the promised land, the place flowing with milk and honey, the place in which their lives would be secure, they'd be free at peace and prosperous. But with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. God promised to bring him into the land and destroyed him in the wilderness. What does that communicate to us? What does that tell us about God? God makes this beautiful promise, sends Moses, takes him out with Sidon's wonder, and they just gripe and moan and are filled with all kinds of issues with sin. <clears throat> so God finally says, okay, you're not going to go in. You're going to die in the wilderness. Your kids will go in, 
but you're not going in. Most believers never came into the liberty, the prosperity, and the happiness that the Lord had offered them. That was true then. And I say it's true today. God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. We need to take note of this. Verse 6. Now these things happened as examples for us so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. What happened to them was written for you and me. They're examples for us. That's code for, this is what I do with these types of attitudes and problems in my people. Listen, watch, learn. Because what happened to them will happen to you if you don't learn the lessons they should have learned. That that tells us that God is the same. We cannot infringe on His grace. We cannot be presumptuous with His grace. His grace is true and beautiful and wonderful. But when we abuse His grace thinking, well, I'm under grace, it's all good. You know, I have the blood of Jesus that covers me. All he sees is righteousness. He's not blind. He's God. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Learn the fear of the Lord. We should fear the Lord because he won't think twice to take us home prematurely. I'm not talking about losing your salvation. You are secure in Jesus. I'm talking about you going through unnecessary, painful things and then dying prematurely, missing out on the sizzle of the joy of living life in him on the earth. First Corinthians 10, 7 through 10. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. You know, this is a tough message. I'm thinking to myself, why am I, why am I, you know, sharing such a tough message when I could just make you feel so good, so cozy, so at peace? You know, what am I thinking? You know what I'm thinking? Judgment's here. Another wave hit us in 2020, this pandemic. Things are getting worse. There's a sifting. That's why this place is a lot smaller. There's a sifting taking place. I'm preaching a hard message because this is the message of God. And you know what? Those who are going to stay are going to stay. And those who are going to leave are going to leave. That's right. That's right. Oh, I want a big church like Joel Osteen. I do. And I, and I, I love Joel. I love my brother Joel. He takes zero. He has no salary. He just does that for free. He makes his money through other means. And he gives a lot to people in need. A lot. I love Joel. But I've kind of figured out that this kind of message is not going to bring in a whole lot of people. But I don't want a whole lot of people. I just want the people of God. 
That's all I want, the people of God. I want something true, something genuine, believers that have a heart for God. You know, not perfect. There are no perfect believers. We're not perfect. But we should be broken over our sin. We should be repenting over our sins. We should be crying out, God, deliver us out of our cages. Those are authentic believers. Humble, but dealing with their sins. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. Nor let us act immorally, as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try the Lord, as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents. Nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. God is love, but he's also a judge. God is merciful, but he's a father who disciplines his kids. Our gracious and loving Lord has no problem taking prematurely the lives of his children when they refuse to come out of their cages of sin and shame. You are not wiser than him, are you? You are not stronger than him, are you? First Corinthians 10, 11 through 12 goes on to say, Now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction upon whom the end of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. Careful. If you presume on the grace of God, you just might fall. If you take for granted the grace of God and play with your sins and stay in your cages, you just might fall straight into the realm of a premature death. Had a very close friend that I grew up with. We were very tight. And he was bad to the bone. He was like the ultimate narcissist, believe me, on steroids. I got saved first. He just mocked, made fun of that. And it was about a year or two later that he got radically saved too. Radically saved. It was amazing. He also battled cancer and um, had a form of cancer that was terminal there was no cure for this cancer. He grew sicker and sicker and sicker, wasting away. He had many trips to the hospital that each trip was thought to be his last. I remember a time in which he was so bad, and they called, they took him in. They finally put him in um, with a neck brace, uh, not one of the little foam ones, but the actual, you know, real deal. And uh, they told his parents, they said, you know what, he is, he is really near the end, and we're not sure he's going to make it out of the hospital. They said that uh, he had a form of bone cancer, and it had already uh, eat, eaten or was causing the vertebrae in his neck to disintegrate. And they said at any moment he could go into just full paralysis. And so they have stabilized him, you know, he was there. Well, he called the elders of his church, and they were Baptists. 
called him up and said, I need you to come pray for me so I can be healed. Called the Baptists. Should have called the vineyard. Called the Baptists. Well, that's the church he went to. So they came out, the elders came out, and I went to the hospital. So I'm there in the hospital room with these elders from the Baptist church, and he's laying in bed, and he's telling the elders, I want you to anoint me with oil so that I can be healed of my cancer. And they're like, you know, uh, we're, you know uh, we'll do that, but, you know, God's good, and if he's taking you home, he's going to take you home, and, you know, he's, what? I'm not going home. I want to be healed. And the Bible says that you call on the elders, and when they pray for you, the sick shall recover. Not might, shall. So lay hands on me. They're like, okay, calm down, calm down, you know. So they anointed him with oil. I sat back. I'm just watching because I'm like, I'm, I'm still a young believer, and I'm thinking these are elders. I just need to stay out of the game, you know. I want to say amen. I won't even do that because I'm just thinking, okay. So they, uh, they did that, and they're praying for him. And he goes, I feel something. They're like, what, what, you know, because I feel something. My neck's heating up. It's getting hot. They go, well, okay, just, you know, should we call a nurse? You want us to call the nurse? He goes, no, I think I'm being healed. They said, no, we, you know, we don't, we don't think that is the case. My neck's on fire. It's on fire. I'm being healed. He grabs the railings of the bed, pulls himself up. They go, no, 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 no. The other guy turns, the other elder turns and pushes the nurse button, you know. We need a nurse, you know. <laughs> this guy's sitting up in bed, swings his legs over, you know. He goes, I'm being healed. He takes his apparatus off, throws it on the bed, stands up. He goes, look, starts moving his head. They're like, don't move your head. <laughs> he goes, I'm healed. I'm healed. He starts touching his toes. He's doing these like little exercises. And then he runs out of the room. The last thing we saw was where the good Lord split him. <laughs> Running out in his little hospital gown, you know. I said, man, looks like he's healed. To the disbelief of his Baptist elders. We're all in shock. He's gone. Yeah, a few minutes later, the nurse comes running in. She says, where is he? Where is he? I said, he took off down the hall. He's, he's gone. Where'd he go? I don't know. He's gone. What do you mean he's gone? He's gone. No, he can't. He, he's got all these problems. I said, he's gone. There's this neck brace. He's gone. The brace is there. The body's gone. Yeah. He's running down, going in room after room after room, telling people, I'm healed. I'm healed. The Lord healed me. Called the elders, and they healed me. I bet some of the other people called their elders that day. You know, I'm just convinced of that, you know? Yeah. So they got him. They brought him back. They got his neck brace back on, got him in bed. Yeah, he was home later that night. Yep. The cancer retreated week after week, month after month, until it was in full remission. They said, they said you know, we've seen this before over and over and over. Let's hold on. Let's not get excited. No one's made it more than two years. Everyone's died before the two-year mark. So let's just hold on. It's good news, but let's hold on. He passed the two-year mark. Then he passed the three-year mark. He was approaching the four-year mark, and his medical team, 
cancer, cancer doctors, were writing a book about this because he, he's the breakthrough. He's the breakthrough. So they're writing a book about this for, for, for their colleagues, and then they're going to write one for, for the story uh, for, for, for his friends, for the, lay, for, you know, the non-professionals. So two books are going to be written. He's going around the Denver area, the different churches, giving his testimony. He's going to the Lutherans. He's going to the Baptists. He's going to the Presbyterians. They're just inviting him. I'm, I'm like running around, you know, following him, and he's speaking to some pretty big groups of people about what the Lord did, telling his story. And people are getting saved. It was amazing. And then he grew a little bit passive and comfortable and started letting down his guard. And then he started going out and drinking again. And he started going out with the ladies and just went back to his Egypt of sin and shame. Then he rolled his truck. Oh, well, I'm sorry. Ultimately, what happened is he got involved with a, number, uh, a woman, got involved in a sexual relationship, an ongoing sexual relationship with this woman who was another man's wife in that congregation. In that congregation. We live as if there is no God. Or we presume so much on His grace thinking that, well, in His grace He understands. He won't do anything. We have no idea who He is. I think that's why most Christians don't read the Old Testament. It's too scary. And yet God says, these stories are written for you. I am scary. You should be afraid of me. I love you. I'll care for you. I'll nurture you. But if you think you're going to go and live like an Egyptian, I'll spank you up one side down the other. And if you persist in it, I'll bring you home early. He ends up rolling his truck. Came out with some bruises, no broken bones or anything. And within a few weeks, he's got like the flu. And it gets worse. Doesn't go away. Goes back in. They do some tests. They say, it's not the flu. Your cancer's back. And it's everywhere. You got a few months, so you better get your life in order. Now I went to him and and I tried to talk to him. I loved him. I was close to him. I said, we need to call the elders. I said, God is good. I said, we need to call the elders. You need to, you know, turn away from that and just, you know, God is good. He's merciful. He's full of grace. And he started weeping. Then I started weeping. And he said, it's too late. He says, it's too late. I've been praying for days, for weeks. It's too late. The Lord has told me clearly, he will not heal me this time. He's taking me home early. He said, I went too far with this other man's wife in our own congregation. He says, there's no healing for me. I presumed on that. I went too far. He's taking me home. He said, stop it. I'm not calling the elders. He repented. And he died prematurely, a, a very agonizing death. And I believe that he heard from the Lord, and the Lord took him home early. I, I, don't, I don't believe he lost his salvation, not at all. It wasn't a salvation issue. But he never went into the fullness of that victory and that freedom and that happiness 
that's represented in the promised land, that promised land experience. He never got there in this life, though God intended that for him. He, like our ancestors, didn't make it in. The big question is, are you going to make it in? Are you going to be like that Joshua and Caleb and stay faithful to the Lord and press in? You don't have to be perfect. You will sin, but you need to repent of your sins and cry out and ask God for forgiveness and change your ways, reform your ways. If you do, you'll continue and you'll go into the fullness of what he has for you. But if you think you can play with that and serve him, you won't. You cannot serve two masters. And God, he'll never tolerate that. He'll never tolerate that. God says, no temptation is overtaking you, but such as is common to man. Anything you struggle with, anything you're tempted with, quit, quit thinking you're the only one tempted with that. Yeah, you know, it's, you know, God understands. I, you know, I just, you know, it's a compulsion. No one can understand it, just me. No, actually, listen, no temptation is overtaking you, but such as is common to man. Sin is in all of our natures. Now, I may not be tempted with what you're tempted with, but I am tempted. We all, like sheep, have gone astray each to our own pathways, to our own sins, our own proclivities. But we all know what it's like to be tempted, even if it's not in the same areas. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able but with the temptation, will provide the way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. Whatever you're being tempted with, cry out to God. God will give you a way of escape. God's going to empower you to be victorious. God wants you to understand what it means to be victorious. You can't understand that without a battle. So he's not going to take the battle away. He's going to give you the victory if you turn to him and cry out and look for the way of escape, we are overcomers. The Holy Spirit is in us, giving us everything we need to overcome. Faith, power, knowledge, wisdom, a faith community with leaders and elders to help us. No, we can do this. We can do this. We can overcome. He goes on to say, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men. You judge what I say. Is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? Since there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. When we partake of communion, we are proclaiming that we are in Christ, that he is the one that has saved us. And in that communion with Christ, it automatically puts us in communion with each other. We are one. We need to make sure we're reaching out to each other, calling each other, praying for each other. You know, we have a membership list. Get on our membership list. Look down through that list from time to time and pray over it. We are prompted to pray. When you're prompted to, to call someone in the community and just encourage them, do that. It's usually an indication that they need some encouragement. I am not going to call each and every person every month. I don't have the time. I don't have the energy to do that. You are the body. Reach out to one another. Together we can get the job done. 
Look at the nation of Israel. Are not all those who eat sacrifices sharers in the altar? What do I mean then? That a thing sacrificed to idols is anything? Or that an idol is anything? No. But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to become sharers and demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. The Lord is in you. If you bow and submit to temptation, you bring the Lord into that because the Lord is in you. And what do you think the Lord's going to do if you do that willfully? I'm not talking about falling and stumbling in sin. I'm talking about embracing it and walking in it. What do you think the Lord's going to do about that? There's no love affair between the kingdom of dark darkness and the kingdom of light. Jesus will not tolerate that. Verse 22, the crux of the chapter. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? You don't want to do that. Jealousy is nothing to mess with. Jealousy is, is almost a madman's insanity. We are not stronger than he, are we? Our God is a jealous God. Do you know, it's actually one of his two names. He has two names. All the other ones are titles. But he has two personal names. One is Yahweh, a God, compassionate, full of loving kindness, mercy, and truth, right? Quick to forgive, slow to anger. That's who he is. That's what the word or the name Yahweh conveys. That's the revelation of his name. Now, he has another name, too, another personal name. He has, like, two names. The other one's less known. You know what that is? Jealous. That's his other name. His other name is Jealous. It's not a title. It's a personal name. He says, I am a jealous God. My name is Jealous. Moses exhorts us to be faithful to the Lord. Why? For the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. So in closing, we're counting the Omer. We're learning the lessons of what it means to be saved by grace through faith in the blood of the Lamb. That God comes to us in our sin and shame to forgive us, to save us. But then he takes us by the hand and says, come out now. He opens up the cages and says, run, run from your cages. This is the season that we reflect on that. This is the season that we say, Lord, what cages am I still in? I experienced freedom and I walked out of a few cages and years gone by, but what cages am I still in today? 
What cages do I need to come out of? This is the season. This is the season of the year that we reflect, we repent, and we reform our ways. It is the time that we make careful and wise decisions that will produce change in our characters. This is the season where we take concrete actions in changing our ways. So what cages are you going to come out of in this or new year? What cages of sexual immorality or sexual impurity are you going to come out of? What about pride and rebellion, addictions, outbursts of anger? What about unforgiveness? That's a nasty cage. It's probably the premier sin, the unwillingness to forgive those who sin against you, resentment, which leads to roots of bitterness. What a cage that is. Various forms of idolatry, being trapped in the cages of envy. Yeah, Lord, show me. Show me the cages that I'm still in so that I can repent, so that I can cry out to you because I am coming out of my cages. You've called me to be free. You were called to be free. So let's get free. The Holy Spirit is waiting for you. The word of the Lord is, my Holy Spirit is waiting for you. Galatians 5, through 24, I'll close with this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Looking at cages of sin is kind of the negative view. Look at the positive, though. If you're saying, well, you know, I'm not really sure if I'm in any cages of sin. Well, look at the positive. Would you say this characterizes your life? Is it just full of love? You know, do people say, wow, that, that person's just full of love. They're just a very loving person. Do you know one of the characteristics of love? Unconditional forgiveness. You, you know, the person who has a lot of love is just almost unoffendable. You cannot offend them. Yeah, it's very hard to offend someone who's full of love. That's what Jesus was such, you know, he took so much all the time because he's full of love. Why did he go to the cross? Because he loved us. Why did he allow himself to be mocked and suffered and crowned with thorns in a purple robe, mocked and hung on a cross? Because he loved us. He could have got offended and went right back to heaven. But love is unoffendable. People that are easily offended are people that do not love. They're low on the scale of love, and love's the big deal. Is your life characterized by love? You full of joy? Does peace govern your life? Are you patient with people around you that drive you crazy?
Are you kind? Or do you find yourself reacting in like? Are you good? Are you faithful? Are you gentle? Do you have self-control? Or are you out of control? Yeah, I think these lists are just as important as the negative list in helping us find out, Lord, what are you doing? So in closing, in closing, I want to appeal to you, my brothers and my sisters, to do business with God, to not look at each other, not try to figure out what, what each other's cage is, but you ask the Lord what your cage is that he wants you to come out of. You ask the Lord what virtue here, what fruit of the Spirit here does he want you to grow into this season? Ask him to come in and do that work. Yield to the Holy Spirit. Ask the Holy Spirit to fill your life daily to give you wisdom and power to walk in the liberty that our Father in heaven has secured for us through the blood of Messiah. So right before we do the Aaronic benediction, I want you to think about this for one moment. And if this resonates in your heart, then I want you to stand up. If it doesn't, stay seated. Stay seated. It's okay. Just be honest before the Lord. In this season that we're in, are you willing to say, I'm going to do business with God? I'm going to make a commitment in the counting of the Omer to ask God daily to show me what he wants and requires of me this year. Yeah, we get, you know, holiness is something we walk into year after year after year. It's a progression. We're already saved. This is not about salvation. This is about walking out our salvation with fear and trembling. Are you willing to say, Lord, show me. I want to change. I want to change this year significantly. I want to change. You come. You do that work. You show me. You empower me. You put pressure on me. I want to be freer this year than I've ever been before. If you are in agreement with you and that's your heartbeat, just stand. Just stand before the Lord. That's your way of saying, Lord, yes, I want to do this. I want this change in my life. I want to change. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. And Father, I just pray over those that are standing. I just pray that you will just pour out your spirit in a fresh, new, and living way. That you come and do this work in us. This work of transformation from one degree of glory to the next. We love you and we revere you. You are our Father who sent his Son that we could be saved and sanctified. So come and do that work. What a wonderful, wonderful work that is. We love you, Lord. Free us this year like never before. In Yeshua's name, amen. The rest of you can stand with us and we'll close with the Aaronic benediction.
And Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, This is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. Say to them, May Yahweh bless you and keep you. May Yahweh make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May Yahweh lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And we add, in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, the Prince of Peace, so they shall put my name on the children of Israel, and I will bless them. Receive now the name of Yahweh. Shem Yeshua HaMashiach, Sar HaShalom, Shabbat Shalom.